Hi, I'm Lee Allen, and I'm the APAC Managing Director of A&O Consulting, the regulatory consulting arm of the global law firm Allen & Overy. Today, we will be looking at the financial accountability regime, which passed through the Australian Senate on the 5th of September this year. FAR ushers in a new era of individual accountability in Australia. Authorised deposit-taking institutions, or ADIs for short, have until the 15th of March 2024 to be compliant. This will be the same for foreign ADIs. Insurers and superannuation funds have a slightly longer transition phase until the 15th of March 2025. However, the warning to the market has been clear. Don't delay your preparation. There is a lot of work that organisations need to do in the transitional period to prepare for the implementation of FAR. We will explain why in more detail through this podcast. Here with me today to talk about FAR is Rosie Williams, a manager at A&O Consulting. Thanks, Lee. Today we're going to cover three key areas that will be crucial for organisations to consider during the transition period from BEAR to FAR. We will also touch on learnings from international individual accountability regimes. In particular, the UK's Senior Manager Certification Regime, or SMCR, will be the guiding light for Australia during FAR implementation. The first area that organisations must consider is the new accountability obligation for accountable persons. Under the BEAR, an accountable person had a number of accountability obligations. This included taking reasonable steps to prevent matters arising that would adversely affect the ADI's prudential standing or prudential reputation. So, for an accountable person under FAR, not only will there be accountability obligations from BEAR, but there is a new requirement to take reasonable steps to prevent material breaches of any financial services laws. Lee, why is the addition of the financial services law obligation such a big deal? Good question. Let's unpack what financial services laws actually means in practice. Financial services laws includes some of the Corps Act's greatest hits, including the very famous Section 912A made a household name during the Royal Commission into Banking. In addition, ASIC Act requirements, including those relating to, say, unfair contract terms, and other laws relating to the conduct in the provision of financial services, which includes things such as the market integrity rules. This means a much broader set of requirements will be captured and that there will be many more provisions that accountable persons will be on the hook for. A couple of examples, Rosie, to draw out the differences. If you use a standard form contract that can now land your accountable person in hot water if it meets the requirement of an unfair contract. Another example would be the management of trade reporting. Any breaches under that regime would now fall within scope. In practical terms, this personal exposure with much more granular breaches is why you need to get your accountability map and accountability statements updated. Working through things such as the overlaps and underlaps and also ensuring that the relevant obligations now in scope have been covered by your accountable persons. Great. Thanks, Lee. If organisations are still in doubt as to whether FAR will result in changes to documentation, you only have to look at the explanatory memorandum to the FAR legislation. 
This document states that FAR will most likely result in material changes to the details of the responsibilities of accountable persons. It sounds like the new accountability obligation will be a contributing factor to this. The second area for organisations to consider is the prescribing of key functions for ADIs. Similar to BEAR, under FAR, an accountable person will be defined using a principles-based element as well as a prescriptive element. Whilst the key functions for ADIs did exist under BEAR, it was a shorter list and they were for consideration rather than being mandatory. In the information package to support FAR, provided by the regulators on the 3rd of October, a new concept of primary areas of focus was introduced. These are a non-exhaustive list of key accountabilities that may be relevant for firms under each prescribed responsibility. Lee, what's the best way for organisations to approach this combination of prescribed responsibilities and mandatory key functions? I think the prescribed responsibilities and primary areas of focus are a useful starting point for firms to assess the coverage of accountability maps across their firm. And then the key functions will then be a mandatory cross-check to ensure that you covered those. The regulators have identified 20 key functions for ADIs on the basis that there needs to be one or more names against each key function in the FAR register. Any change to these names immediately qualifies as a material change that must be reported. So it will be important to consider the practical proximity of each accountable person to each key function in question. Will they be able to demonstrate reasonable steps or is it more appropriate to assign an accountable person who is actually closer to that function? Okay, that makes sense. It looks as though the key functions are more detailed than what was prescribed under Bear. one example being scam management. We are also hearing from the industry that there is a lot of work to be done in deciphering which key functions are relevant to an organisation. Do you have any advice on how organisations should be assigning accountability to these key functions? Sure. ADIs can assign a key function to more than one accountable person if this reflects their different responsibilities in relation to that function. But don't mistake joint accountability for shared accountability. If you're putting more than one name against a key function, accountability statements must be very clear on each accountable person's responsibility as it relates to that function and the handover points must be identified. ADIs can also disregard irrelevant key functions if they just simply do not apply to their business. But if you do this, you need to be ready to explain clearly your position to the regulator. Thanks, Lee. The third area organisations should consider is the dual regulation aspect of FAR. Both ASIC and APRA will be overseeing FAR. This will add a conduct and markets focus on top of the current prudential focus. Lee, what will the presence of ASIC likely mean for organisations? Rosie, as we've discussed, the addition of ASIC as a regulator for FAR will be a game changer in my view. This is similar to what we have seen under the UK SMCR with the FCA being an equal partner under the UK SMCR regime. ASIC is a different regulator and has a stronger and more experienced enforcement function. This, together with the broader scope of obligations, will mean many more 
of its investigations are likely to look at the conduct of an accountable person. This is very different to under the Bear regime. It will be important for accountable persons to consider their reasonable steps framework from the perspective of an ASIC enforcement action, but also from a supervisory perspective. That's interesting. Thanks, Lee. Just to clarify, what do you mean by regulators taking a supervisory perspective? Rosie, what we've seen in other jurisdictions with accountability regimes is that the regulators will use the language of the regime in their normal supervisory activity. This could include making an accountable person sign attestations under the regime and pinning people more specifically to hold them to account in the event that they fail to do something. Thanks, Lee. Since ANO Consulting was established, we have worked with a number of global institutions to conduct reviews of their individual accountability frameworks. Leveraging this experience, we have found that there are many points which actually read across to FAR, particularly as we've been talking about from the UK SMCR. Lee, are you able to share just a couple of the insights which do read across to FAR? Sure. There are three points that I would share. Obviously, there are more. But first, the perfect reasonable steps framework is a myth. There are multiple smart solutions that we have advised clients on in the UK. And while existing governance structures play a role in demonstrating reasonable steps, they will not be enough on their own. Finally, our expertise is derived from the developments in the UK, which has evolved. And we do not advise overcooking and gold plating the regime. It needs to be workable and practical to ensure that it can be delivered by the accountable persons. The second is that fire arrangements will remain in a perpetual state of reinvention. So firms need to consider how they will prepare for this. Finally, centralization is a positive to mitigate against failures in process and inconsistencies developing over time, which is an experience that many UK firms have encountered. Thanks, Lee. Now, there are many more layers of FAR that we could unpack, but that's about all we have time for today. ANO Consulting has experience supporting a range of financial institutions to review their individual accountability frameworks. We are in a unique position as we work closely with our lawyers in the UK who have deep SMCR experience and insight into enforcement trends, themes and challenges. Please reach out to Lee or myself if you would like to discuss further.